Is this the Owens residence? I'm Mr. Belvedere. everybody, I'm your host Angela Bowen and I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of my new podcast, Tea Time with Mr. Belvedere, a Mr. Belvedere podcast. Today I will be discussing the pilot episode of Season 1, Episode 1, Stranger in the Night, which premiered on March 15, 1985. I currently host two other podcasts currently on SoundCloud and iTunes. Punky Power, an unofficial Punky Brewster podcast, and also Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. So if you're into 80s sitcoms, then you should definitely check them out. I'm currently doing the first seasons of both of those podcasts, Punky Brewster's right around next Monday I'll be doing episode uh, 15 and 16, and... I actually just started on Season 2 of The Wonder Years, so definitely check them out. I decided to do a Mr. Belvedere podcast because, well, I love the show, and I grew up watching it in syndication in the 90s. I also own Seasons 1 through 4 on DVD. The final two seasons, unfortunately, have not been released by Shout Factory, which the other four have been. But, you know, I figure... I'm seeing them on iTunes, the final two seasons, five and six, so I'll probably might go that route and see how that goes. <clears throat> Alright, I am going to go a little bit courtesy of Wikipedia over uh, the creation of the show. Not too much, I don't want to bog you guys down. Mr. Belvedere is an American sitcom that originally aired on ABC from March 15th, 1985 to July 8th, 1990. The series is based on Lynn Aloysius Belvedere, a character created by Gwen Davenport for her 1947 novel Belvedere, which was later adapted into the 1948 film Sitting Pretty. The sitcom stars Christopher Hewitt in the title role, who takes a job as a butler with an American family headed by George Owens, played by Bob Euchre. The series follows posh butler Lynn Belvedere as he struggles to adapt to the Owens household. We have the breadwinner, George, played by Bob Euchre. He's a sports writer, however, in the pilot he worked in construction. His wife, Marcia, played by Eileen Graff, is attending law school. At the show's start, older older son Kevin, played by Rob Stone, is a senior in high school. We have daughter Heather, who's the middle child. She's played by Tracy Wells. She's a freshman in high school. And youngest Wesley is played by Bryce Beckham who is in elementary school. Well now that we've got that all out of the way, what do you say we hop right into the pilot episode, Stranger in the Night. But first let me lay out the plot for you. I'll give you my own version of the synopsis of the summary for the episode. The Owens family of Pittsburgh, PA, is overwhelmed because George is currently working, his wife, Marcia, is currently in law school, and their children, their three children, Kevin, Heather, and Wesley, are not taking good care of the house. Enter one Mr. Lynn Belvedere, a one-time servant of the British royal family, to keep this household in order despite George's apprehension. 
Actually, now that I think about it, I don't know. Maybe I did. Maybe I think I got that from something else. So maybe I can't take credit for that. I apologize in advance. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, the show opens with a scene in the kitchen, and we see the Owens' middle child, 15-year-old Heather, talking to a boy on the phone, trying to lock down a date. From her end of the conversation, it sounds like he's pressuring her as we hear her say, Of course I like you, Billy. I like you a lot. It's just, there's no place for us to be alone. He mentions how his parents will be gone all weekend, and this excites Heather, so much so that she doesn't see younger brother, nine-year-old Wesley, come in telling her that he's hungry, and she shushes him. Annoyed, Wesley continues by explaining to Heather how she has to cook dinner when their parents are not home. Both parents are currently occupied outside of the house. George, with his sports... Well, in the pilot episode, he's a contractor. Not a sportscaster just yet. And Marsha has law school, so it's up to Heather to start dinner for everyone before the parents get home. That is a lot of responsibility to put on a child that has to cool cook a meal for five people. Actually, it turns out she doesn't have to cook the meal. She just has to put it in the oven, a casserole. That is not that hard to do. It's like, boom, you put it in the oven, it cooks... You're done. You can do whatever the hell you want in the meantime. So, I don't see why she can't just call the person back, tell them to hang on a sec, and she pops it in in the oven. I mean, heck, even Wesley could probably do it. I mean, he is nine. And back then, nine-year-olds were probably pretty efficient when it came to that stuff. I don't know. I mean, good grief. You know, I myself probably couldn't do I mean, as far as if we're referring to cooking a meal... Lucky for me, it's just my husband and I, and since I'm not big on cooking, even though we only have dinner together, like, on the weekends, because of our different work schedules, he works in the morning and I work in the evening, so we only see each other early in the morning and then late at night when I get home. The Owens have been trying to find a housekeeper through the agency they're working with, but unfortunately, nothing has come of it so far. Heather just picks up the entire phone because you could do that back then. It's a, it's one of those landline rotary phones. And uh, she just moves farther down the kitchen aisle with it. But oh, Wesley, he's got a trick up his sleeve to get her attention. He's already showing his beginning devilish trickster side. He turns the volume up on her, way up on her Walkman, practically blowing out her eardrums. Heather yanks him off and screams at Wesley for almost giving her permanent hearing damage. Who He just laughs it off like, yeah, that'd be neat. We see the oldest Owen's child, Kevin, come into the kitchen from, I'm guessing, to be the side of the house. I notice he's wearing a heavy winter coat, and this show started filming in March, so maybe it's around that time of year where you need a jacket. They live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so I'm sure it's still cold around that time of year. I mean, where I'm from, Michigan, you still probably need a light jacket. Well, even maybe a heavy jacket, because it can still be like in the 30s and 40s. You're not getting into spring weather just yet. 
Heather asks Kevin to put the casserole in the oven, and he obliges. Oh, okay. I mean, so as I was watching it, I realized that, oh, okay, so dinner is probably pre-made the night before, and all she has to do is put it in the oven. She can't even do that! She could have popped it in, you know, like I said earlier, how, well, that guy could have just held on the line. By the way, is he even still on the line? She's been holding the phone for, like, five minutes or more. That's what I didn't like when I called my friends up and they started conversations with other people in the room. It's like, uh, you were talking to me just a second ago. What happened? Lose interest? And then sometimes I just say, you know, I gotta go or I hang up. I mean, I did this a lot when I was young or a teenager. It's like, okay, I'm talking to you on the phone. If you'd rather talk to whoever's in the room, then I may as well take my time and spend it elsewhere. Wesley mentions how Mom warned Kevin to stay away from the appliances, and Kevin clarifies it was actually the microwave, and that happened months ago. Wesley proves this point by saying, we almost had a meltdown. What happened there? Did he put aluminum foil in there, or maybe silverware? Because that right there would mess it up. Never put aluminum foil in the microwave. Marcia Owens comes through the back door by the kitchen and greets the kids. She zeroes in right away on Heather, telling her, Heather, hang up the phone. And she tells Billy to call her later. Kevin asks her how college was, and Wesley pipes in asking, Are you a lawyer yet? And she tells him, not yet, not for a few more years. That's right, we won't really see her become one until a few seasons later, probably towards like season four or five or six. Heather tells her mom they won't last that long, meaning the kids having to fend for themselves and getting dinner ready as she pokes at the unheated casserole with a serving spoon. Marcia takes it from them and places it in the oven, stating how they're still looking for help and that the kids shouldn't mind doing some extra work to pitch in around the house in the meantime. So for me, it feels like Kevin, Heather, and Wesley are maybe similar to what the term latchkey kid, latch kids the term of the 80s where some children came home to an empty house because their parents worked during the day. From age 11 and on up, I came home to no one home. My dad, you know, usually worked until like 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the evening. You know, my my mom wasn't home. Um, I will be straight up about this. Um, my mom had suffered from lupus, and I, when I mean she suffered, I mean that she had a very debilitating stroke where she couldn't take care of herself anymore, so she had to be, uh, she had to be put in a home where, um, they could help do those things for her. And so I was pretty much left to my own devices. Um, let's see, sorry about that. Um, my sister usually was off somewhere. We were, you know, we had an age difference of six years, so when I was 10, 11, she, she pretty much was on the way out the door. She had moved out, so, and then it was just my dad and I. Anyway, when I was 9 and 10, I had to get myself up in the morning and get myself dressed and breakfast, then walk across the street to the neighbor's. You know, I lived in the country, so it's not like that road was that busy. It was just, an old, you know, an old country road, so... Walked across the street to the neighbors, waited for the bus there. Sometimes they bring a movie over, watch for a few minutes, stuff like that. That way, there was somebody actually watching me. 
this was back in the day when kids could take care of themselves. How I mean is maybe kids back then were a little bit more... I don't know the, the whole thing about that, whether kids seemed more responsible when they were younger back then than they probably do now because you certainly would not leave a nine-year-old child by themselves. You would probably get arrested for uh, child endangerment, negligence, what have you. Um, You know, and my grandma only lived like two miles away, so I wasn't completely alone if I needed someone. And then my aunt also lived near... You know, I had a lot of close family that lived nearby, so... I wasn't entirely alone. All right. Wesley pulls a head of lettuce out of the fridge and tells his mom he's going to feed Inky, his hamster, and prides himself on taking good care of him, and Marcia agrees, kissing him on the head. Marcia asks if they've heard from the domestic agency, and Wesley says, Not on that phone, pointing to Heather. Marcia looks at Heather, who complains of not having her own phone. Marcia just says, Heather! in an exasperated tone, and then Heather mentions how everyone blames her for everything and walks out of the kitchen in a huff. Kevin walks over to his mom, saying he's proud of her, and says, she says, well, I'm proud of you too. Kevin admits, no, you won't be, as he pulls out his report card and hands it to her. Marcia looks at his report card and gasps, oh, Kevin... Five D's and a C? I'm like, what the hell? He's in high school, for crying out loud. He looks to be about 16, 17 years old, close to being a senior, which it turns out he is a senior. Why would his grades be so low and not warrant a letter from the school to his parents? That's practically failing right there, unless he's doing it for attention. Is he doing it for attention? And let me know, uh, let me tell you that some of these reactions, because I haven't watched the show in quite a while, like, I believe I got the first season of Mr. Belvedere probably about eight, nine years ago, so it's been a while since I've watched it, so a lot of these reactions that I'm putting in here is basically what I'm seeing before something else relates to me that it's actually something different, so... Marcia can't believe it, and she uh, says how even though he's never been a straight-A student, he's at least managed to get two, managed to get a couple of Bs. Kevin makes a Shakespeare joke about, or not two Bs, and Marcia levels him with a hard look and tells him hopefully he got that all out of his system because his father is going to be furious. Kevin smiles. <laughs> at this and says you think so but sees Marsha's expression and goes solemn I mean you think so okay what kind of game is he playing here like he wants to get in trouble something is clearly up and it's not his grades alright anyway we move to the living room we see Heather flipping through a magazine on the couch when the doorbell rings. Heather opens the door to find a bundled up, heavy set British man on the doorstep asking <coughs> if this is the Owens residence. And Heather just answers, Uh huh. And Mr. Belvedere says, And I take it you're one of them? And Heather just responds, Uh huh. 
Mr. Belvedere asks, is there anywhere, is there someone here who speaks English? Alright, already we see his wit and charm. At this, Marcia comes into the living room and asks, can I help you? Mr. Belvedere comes in and introduces himself, asks Marcia if the family consists of one husband and three children. Marcia tells him he's correct, and he looks at her stomach and asks if she's expecting a bun in the oven. What? She asks him, surprised, and he takes that as a no and says, congratulations, he's their new housekeeper. And quickly makes himself at home, pawning off his suitcase into Wesley's arms as he walks towards the door to the kitchen. He turns looking at Marcia, who's still confused as ever, and he smiles. Alright, then we go to the credits as we're introduced to the cast of characters in a photo album sequence as the theme song, according to our new arrival plays overhead. We see the title card, Mr. Belvedere. Then we are introduced to the cast appearing in order of Christopher Hewitt as Mr. Belvedere in different pictures. We see him in different countries, a bit of a world traveler. Then we see a picture of him with a cardboard sign that says Pittsburgh on it while sitting on the curb trying to bum a ride. Then we see a picture of Eileen Graff as Marcia Owens coming through the back door in the kitchen. Then we see one of her passed out from exhaustion at the piano. Then a nice headshot of her in front of a blue curtain. Next up we have Rob Stone played playing Kevin. In the, in the picture it looks like he's holding a skateboard in one hand and his other his arm is in a his other arm is in a sling, so it looks like we get the impression that Kevin is clumsy, and then we see a picture of him dressed up for the prom on the stairs with this date. We only see the bottom of her face because she appears much taller than him, and then we see a headshot of Rob Stone. Now we move on to Tracy Wells, who plays Heather. She's posing on the stairs. Then there's a picture of her and Marcia posing together in the kitchen, very mother daughterly. Followed up by her headshot. And now for the youngest member of the Owens household, we see a picture of Bryce Beckham as Wesley bundled up and holding a sled. Then in another picture, we see him holding an accordion with a bored expression on his face. Take note of that accordion because it will be making an appearance later in the show. Then we get a headshot of him in front of the same blue curtains as the rest of the cast. And finally, we get the head of the household, Bob Euchre, with an added introduction as George. We see a picture of him having just walked in the front door of the living room. Then we see him in the front of the, a building wearing a hard hat. See, this is where, like I said, I hadn't watched the pilot in a while and I was really confused. I'm like, I thought he was a sportscaster. Then we see a headshot of him in front of the blue curtain along, you know, with everyone else has all had their their headshot in front of a blue curtain. Just so you know, this theme song for the pilot episode is sung by a different person, a more bluesy, jazzy tone, and I'm not really a fan. Luckily, it will change soon. We see the final pictures of Mr. Belvedere again with that Pittsburgh sign, and then one of them of him in the doorway, then a final shot of him standing behind the couch with the family. Now the episode continues with them in the living room. Marcia finally comes to her senses and asks Mr. Belvedere, uh, what's your name again? And he tells her his name is Lynn Belvedere. At this, Wesley says, 
Lynn, that's a girl's name. And Marcia chastises Wesley for being rude. Mr. Belvedere doesn't miss a beat and quips back, chuckling. <laughs> Wesley, a difficult birth, I take it. <laughs> Already, Already, I can see these two are going to be the ones with the witty back-and-forth banter. I noticed Kevin and Wesley are dressed in striped shirts. That must have been the trend back in the 80s. I mean, I was born in 82, so yeah, I remember that that trend. I had cousins that wore the striped shirts a lot. Marsha asks if the agency has been had been the one to send him, and he asks if there's something wrong, and she says, Oh, no, no, I just wasn't expecting someone like you. How does, <laughs> how does she mean this? I wonder, maybe him being British, maybe she was expecting a woman, maybe men housekeepers weren't that common during that time. So as I was doing research, I looked up Mr. Belvedere is the third in the coming trend of male housekeepers. Tony Danza, who's the boss, debuted eight months earlier in September of 84, and Charles in Charge followed suit in October of 84. So it seems it was kind of a growing trend. I did look up, I only found that there were three shows in the 80s around that time, that dealt with, you know, the male housekeeper scenario. So, unless there's more out there, you know, hit me up on the Facebook Tea Time with Mr. Belvedere page or the Instagram page or, or Twitter or whatever. I would like to know if there's more out there. I don't think there is, though. Mr. Belvedere is a good sport and just says, No one ever expects someone like me as he smiles and once again heads towards the kitchen. Marcia informs him that before she hires him, before she hires anyone, there are certain qualifications that must be met. Like, for instance, do you know anything about cooking? He just humors her by saying, Cooking? Isn't that where you take raw things and put them over an open fire and then you eat them? He's just playing her, guys. Like, what? Of course I can cook. Do you know who you're asking? The camera pans over to the kids, and they're all laughing at this and smiling. Clearly, they already like him. He assures her, yes, he's done that. And he pulls an envelope out of his coat and shows her his references. Marcia takes out the letter and swallows hard. Obviously, she's underestimated his skills because she asks, I assume this is the Winston Churchill? And Mr. Belvedere confirms, the very one indeed. Well, uh, can't call him, Marcia says to herself as she puts the paper back in the envelope and tells Mr. Belvedere there's more to the job than that. There's cooking, there's laundry, housekeeping, and what about the children? Well, as far as I'm concerned, they can stay, he jokes, providing they behave themselves. And the camera zooms in on the kids, and Wesley does this cute impression of Donald Duck. Oh, I can't really do Donald Duck, but does she think that because he's a man that automatically disqualifies him to perform such tasks? I understand she wants someone who can relate to the children. Would she prefer a younger man? Maybe Tony Maselli or Charles. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but they already have positions as housekeepers somewhere else. Marcia tells him she's sorry, but she can't make 
She can't make a decision till her husband comes home. Mr. Belvedere says he can wait. And Marcia says, well, she's unsure when that will be. And Kevin says, well, he'll, he'll be home in 20 minutes. Marcia thanks Kevin. Basically, I believe she kind of didn't want it there right, you know, she didn't want him there right when her husband was getting home because wouldn't that be a surprise to walk into your home and to find a strange Englishman standing in your living room? Marcia tells him she has to see to dinner and uh, her homework because, of course, she's in college. And says he can make himself comfortable on their couch, which has got crap all over it. Clothes, magazines, toys, etc. Mr. Belvedere asks where he can sit. And that's when she sees the condition of the couch, chastises the children, telling them it's not a closet, and to take their stuff upstairs. The kids grab the stuff and exit to the stairs as Mr. Belvedere sits down and turns... Marcia turns and asks if he wants anything, and he pulls out a handful of popcorn and says, Oh no, this popcorn here will be plenty. She turns, rolls her eyes, and heads to the kitchen. In the next scene, we see Heather entering the kitchen. She tells Marcia, who's shredding lettuce, that the pot's boiling over, and Marcia appears deep in contemplation, who thanks her. Marcia tells her some Billy called, saying how he needed an answer, as she eyes her daughter skeptically. Thinking on her feet, Heather th tells her that they share an algebra class, and he needs a lot of answers. <laughs> He's stupid. R really, Marcia says, unconvinced. Back in the living room, Belvedere is straightening the cushions on the chair as Wesley comes into the living room, accusingly asking, what are you doing? He tells him that he's just straightening up and Wesley informs him, we don't do that kind of stuff around here. Well, sir, that's certainly obvious by the sty that they keep. Wesley nonchalantly asks if he found anything possibly like um, Inky's ball and Belvedere asks if Inky's the black sheep of the family. Wesley tells him, no, he's my hamster and I'm taking really good care of him. Wesley continues on if he's responsible. One day he can get a dog, a real pet. Mr. Belvedere tells Wesley how he had a pet mongoose once, but had to get rid of him because his friends couldn't bring their cobras over. Wesley yells for his mom and heads towards the kitchen. We see George, the father, getting home from work. As he walks in, he asks, Where's my high big boy kiss? And Mr. Belvedere, not missing a beat, says... I haven't even been hired yet. That's when George turns around, seeing Belvedere, and asks, Who are you? And Belvedere sticks out his hand, introducing himself as Lynn Belvedere, and shakes George's hand as George introduces himself. Belvedere tells George he's late, and then turns to go to the kitchen as Marcia walks out, hugging George and asking George if he's met Mr. Belvedere. And George says, I think so. Marcia tells him that Mr. Belvedere has applied to be our housekeeper, and George laughs. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Thinking it's a joke. Marcia turns back to Belvedere and tells George she, that she couldn't make a decision until they both discussed it. Definitely big decisions like that do need to be made together, especially with him being the breadwinner. 
George continues to laugh it off, saying, <laughs> Not today, as he walks over to Belvedere, telling him the thing is, he and his wife are looking for someone more. And Belvedere says, Mediocre. George laughs, joking, <laughs> Right. Belvedere says he's sorry to hear that, and George tells him, Dems the brakes. Belvedere says, Yep, Dems sure is. Belvedere. Says as he grabs his coat and suitcase, tells Marcia to tell the children goodbye for him, and says he hopes they will find someone more suitable, you know, more to their liking. George says, "Don't freeze your buns off out there," and Marcia adds, "She hopes he has a warm coat in the car." Belvedere turns to face him and says, "He doesn't," and George says, "You don't have a coat," and Belvedere corrects him, "I don't have a car." He tells them that public transportation dropped him at the shopping mall and he basically walked the rest of the way to their house. Jeez, I mean, how far did he have to walk? I wonder. Marcia mentions it's five miles from their house? Holy crap! I used to walk three miles for uh, a nice walk in the summer and that normally took me an hour and a half, but five miles in blistering cold weather? I'm surprised he has all of his limbs. George could care less and just says, so long. And the, even in the pilot episode, I can feel hostility in George about Belvedere that seems to continue throughout the show's run. Does George feel somehow emasculated for having a male housekeeper or maybe usurped? He tells them goodbye and walks out the door. Marcia turns to George, worried about letting Mr. Belvedere leave the way he did. And George tells her, He'll be fine. And she tells him he'll freeze out there. And George jokes how he'll make someone a nice lawn ornament. George, he's a human being. I clearly can clearly see compassion is not your strong suit. Marcia just tells him to go get him. And George walks to the door saying, all right, all right. And when he opens the door, Belvedere is standing right outside. He comes in handing his suitcase to George asking if they dress for dinner as he walks past them. In the next scene, the family is sat down to dinner. George comes to sit down at the head of the table, and Marcia tells him how she and Mr. Belvedere were discussing entrapment. And George says, Great, speaking of which, it's still snowing outside. He's not too thrilled about Mr. Belvedere spending the night. Marcia changes the subject, asking how everyone likes their dinner, and Belvedere pipes up, calling it a very distinct casserole. And George tells him, it's tuna. Really? Belvedere remarks. Yeah, pretty good, huh? George says. Oh, it's delicious! And whose idea was the crushed potato chips on top? Belvedere asks. Mine, George confirms. Oh, out of marshmallows, Belvedere quips. Frustrated, George throws down his napkin and leaves to check the weather. So this back and forth between George and Belvedere are just like they're trying to feel each other out. Is this, you know, I'm thinking maybe it could be a dominance thing with George. I'm not sure yet. Heather asks to be excused and Wesley follows suit, mentioning loudly he's going to feed his hamster now. Marcia tells them to clear the table and for Wesley to finish his milk. He then proceeds to wipe his mouth after drinking the milk and belch loudly, startling Marcia. I take it he doesn't do this regu- he, 
regularly. Otherwise, he probably would have been expecting it. I bet he did it for added effect because Belvedere's there. Belvedere dabs at his mouth with his napkin, excusing himself to check the weather. George turns from the window, telling him, don't bother, it's still a blizzard out there. Marcia excuses herself to make up the guest room for Belvedere, telling him it looks like he'll be spending the night. Belvedere turns to George and tells him that he certainly hates to impose, and George says, force yourself. George shows his dad his grades, and George says, I can't believe this! This is the worst report card you've ever brought into this house! George mentions a D and woodshop? I'm in construction! How- okay, seriously, how in the hell do you- This is him. This isn't me, guys, I'm sorry! How the hell do you expect to get into college with grades like these? George continues to lay into Kevin, asking if he wants to suffer his way through like George did. Breaking his back and kills him, Kevin tells him, no, sir. George tells him to straighten up before he wakes up on the wrong end of the wheelbarrow. George turns to head upstairs and Kevin rushes up to him asking, I guess this breaks our deal, huh? George asks him, what deal? And Kevin says, how if I kept up my grades, I could get my driver's license? George says, well, you certainly don't deserve it. But with... Me and your mother, me working and your mother going to school, you're going to have to shoulder some of the responsibility of, you know, he's basically going to have to be chauffeuring Heather and Wesley around. So they're going to need someone to drive so he can get his license. And Kevin says, what? Horrified at the prospect of getting behind the wheel, George tells him to just get his grades up and chucks him on the chin before heading upstairs. Well, putting two and two together here, it's easy to see that Kevin must have changed his grades in hopes of being told he couldn't get his license. The question is, why doesn't he want to get his license? Mr. Belvedere looks at Kevin and lifts his teacup in a toast and tells Kevin, happy motoring. The next scene, we see someone coming down the stairs with a flashlight into the living room. It's Wesley calling out for Inky, his hamster. So all this time he's been talking about Inky and telling everyone how responsible he is. He's trying to save face until he finds him so he doesn't ruin his pet keeping rep in the hopes he'll get that dog one day. Can I help you? We hear a voice in the dark and it turns out to be Mr. Belvedere. Wesley turns on a light and asks what he's doing in the dark. Just a relaxation technique he learned from a Himalayan yogi as he crosses his arms palms flat against his chest. Wesley makes a yogi bear joke and Belvedere rolls his eyes standing up. When he stands, he I notice he really towers over Wesley. I take it Master Inky is among the missing and Wesley says, uh, yeah, so? So, did he escape just now? Belvedere asks him. Well, not just now, Wesley says. Today? Belvedere asks. No, Wesley says, since the last autumnal equinox, Belvedere asks. He's been gone for three weeks, Wesley admits. Okay, holy crap. Well, he's clearly dead then, unless he's surviving on air and whatever around the house. I see. Then who's been eating the, the all that lettuce, he asks Wesley. I have. 
It's been a nightmare, pretending to feed him, pretending to play with him. I even took an empty box to school one day for show and tell, he explains. Mr. Belvedere sits back down, tells Wesley that yes, living a lie can be exhausting. I'm just worried that Dad's going to find him dead in his shoe or his shorts and where he hides his playboys or something, Wesley tells Mr. Belvedere. And the look of surprise on Belvedere's face when he hears this is hilarious. I'm never going to get that dog, Wesley complains. I hear you, Westman. Seriously, if my husband had his way, I never will ever either. Granted, I had two when I was a teenager, one when I was 13 that unfortunately ran away. And then I, I got one when I was about 14 or 15 from the animal shelter. And she lived to be until I was probably 20, I think, that she passed. I mean, she was, Delilah was already three years old when I got her. She was a nice, she was mostly black lab, but uh, <clears throat> she was a good girl. She frequented our house and, like, ran up to the farm, which was, like, clear across the field. But I I want my golden retriever one day. And I plan to get my golden retriever one day. Even if it takes 10 years from now. Belvedere explains to Wesley that if he tells his parents what has, what's happened and what he's been through, he feels certain they'll understand. And get me a dog? Wesley asks excitedly. No, but they're overrated anyway, he informs Wesley. Then he orders them off to bed. Belvedere walks into the kitchen as we see Heather on the phone with Billy trying to arrange a sneak away with Billy and saying she could just tell her parents... She went to the mall with Angela. Okay, guys, let me be upfront. I am not really a huge fan of saying my own name out loud unless I have to, but this character, Angela, will be a prominent fixture on the show and have a witty repartee with Mr. Belvedere, always mispronouncing his name, so I'll just have to get over it for the sake of the podcast. Heather suggests the three of them maybe see a movie, and she tells him she's not chickening out, that she wants to be alone with him. She tells him she'll see him tomorrow and hangs up the phone. Okay, what does this Billy guy plan to do with Heather? I mean, he sounds like a predator with his insistence she'd come over to his house. I take it he's planning to de-virginize her or something? I mean, yikes. This guy is hardcore. Rates cheaper after midnight, Mr. Belvedere asks, and Heather whirls around, startling, startled, telling him that he scared her. She tells him she just had to call a friend, and he tells her, none of my business. She tells him goodnight and turns to head upstairs. He tells her, be careful. Huh? Heather asks. Going upstairs and getting into bed. Be careful. It can be treacherous in the dark, he warns. Yeah. Sure, thanks, she says as she leaves the kitchen. Mr. Belvedere opens the fridge, but a car horn honks outside, and he quickly shuts it. Mr. Belvedere laughs to himself and says, It must be Kevin. I really like that he gets a scene with each child, each kid, so he can establish a certain connection, therefore cementing his role in the family already, so it'll be, it will be harder for George to be able to dismiss him if the kids are already attached. In the garage, we see Kevin sitting in the driver's seat of the station wagon, playing with the lights and the wipers. My guess is trying to, he's trying to figure out the controls before he's expected to take his driver's trust and drive his siblings around. Mr. Belvedere comes into the garage, cautiously approaching the car. 
Kevin's turning his head back and forth, following the direction of the wipers as if in a trance. He leans down, peering into the passenger side window, asking Kevin if he's alright. And Kevin says, fine, fine. Belvedere asks, going my way? Sure, Kevin tells him, and then Mr. Belvedere takes that as an invitation, slipping into the passenger seat. They just sit there in silence for a moment, and Mr. Belvedere reaches over and turns off the wipers, and Kevin says, thanks. Finally coming out of his trance, he asks Kevin if he's getting a feel for the wheel, and Kevin tells him, yes, he is. Mr. Belvedere tells him how he must be looking forward to the open road, and Kevin says, boy, and how. But Kevin's expression is anything but excited, more like petrified. He tells Kevin he's sure he'll make a fine driver, and Kevin turns to face him, finally cracks, saying, No, I won't. I mean, I can't even leave a room without bumping into something. How am I supposed to drive a car? I'm going to run over a nun. I just know it. Kevin, that's ridiculous, Mr. Belvedere tells him. I can't drive, Kevin says. Not understanding, he asks, Kevin, what's the problem? All right, guys, my uh, timer for my lunch is going off. Hold on. I already told you, Kevin fires back. Mr. Belvedere tells Kevin he can master this machine, and Kevin responds with, No, I can't. It must be something else, Mr. Belvedere says mostly to himself. No, it mustn't, Kevin tells again, and Mr. Belvedere asks Kevin again, Why won't you drive? Kevin tells him it's because it doesn't stop there. I get my license, then I'm buying gas. True, Mr. Belvedere agrees, and Kevin mentions how now he'll have all these responsibilities, and then before you know it, I'll be married with three kids, a mortgage, and then I'm talking to some insurance guy about term or a whole life. I mean, good grief. Kevin, don't, don't jump the gun, guy. All right. Here's a quick driving story about me when I took driver's ed. When I was around 16, so that was probably about uh, 1998, uh, I had to learn to drive on the expressway. And, well, let's just say that one time on the expressway freaked me out. So much so that I avoided it. You know, I always took alternate routes if I had to get somewhere. I avoided it until I had no choice when I was 28 and I had to get somewhere. And my alternative route had, you know, a backup due to construction. And I didn't want to be late to my writing class that I was taking at a bookstore. So I had Jeremy, my husband, on speakerphone talk me through it. Luckily, it wasn't very far that I had to go on the expressway. So that helped. But... All it took was that one time to get over my fear, and I used the expressway to get where I needed to go all the time after that. Mr. Belvedere comments on Kevin being a bit of a brooding lad, aren't we? Kevin tells him how he just doesn't want to grow up, and Mr. Belvedere tells him, well, he doesn't want to either, but he's pretty much reconciled himself to it. He tells Kevin how he allows himself 15 minutes a day of childish behavior, whether he needs it or not. Really? Kevin says surprised, and Mr. Belvedere tells him Roadrunner cartoons. Kevin does the meep beep of the Roadrunner, and they both laugh, breaking the tension. Kevin admits he got a little carried away, and Mr. Belvedere tells him how bad grades don't usually stunt your growth. And Kevin tells him... 
He forged his report card how he changed all his B's to D's except for the one in Woodshop which was authentic. And Mr. Belvedere looks at him like he's a freaking nut. Mr. Belvedere says goodnight and then he gets out of the car. The next morning in the kitchen, Mr. Belvedere has set the table as Marcia walks in surprised and asks, What's all this? He tells her, breakfast, just his way thanking the family for their hospitality. George comes through the door and asks, what smells so good? And he sees Belvedere and says, oh, it's you. He asks if George slept well as he hands him a glass of OJ and George tells him he slept like a log. He tells them bacon and biscuits are in the warmer and scotch eggs will be ready in five minutes. The kids all come through the kitchen door, uh, the kitchen saying good morning and Wesley winks at Mr. Belvedere about their whole Inky the Hamster conversation from the previous night. He tells them he's hitting the road and Kevin and Heather look at him in surprise and Kevin asks where he's going <clears throat> and he tells them, well, he's not sure and says he's always wanted to see Terre Haute. And he says, don't ask me why. Well, I didn't understand. You know, I tried to figure out the spelling. And I'm like, well, maybe if I type it in, you know, do a Google search, it'll kind of tell me where it is. Well, from what I looked up, it said it's in Indiana, which is weird. I mean, why would he want to go there? Marcia gives George a pleading look, and I don't think she wants Mr. Belvedere to leave any more than the kids do. George tells him, it's nothing personal. It's just with the two of them working, they need someone to do more than cook and clean. Marcia gets up and says that they need someone who can relate to the children. He tells them he certainly sees their point. But as he turns to go, he faces them once more saying, By the way, Kevin has changed his grades downward. I'd ask him why. Heather doesn't want to go all the way to Billy's house, and Wesley would rather prefer a dog to this dusty creature, and he pulls Inky out of his coat pocket and blows fake dust off of him, and Wesley cries out, Inky, as he tries, as he takes him from Mr. Belvedere, and he tells Wesley, thank you for sharing him with me. Mr. Belvedere heads out the kitchen door, and Wesley follows him, calling his name, Mr. Belvedere, and then we kind of hear him say, Mr. Belvedere. You know, as they're already on the other side of the door. George looks at Marcia and says, Did I miss something? And Marcia tells him, I think we both did. The camera pans over to Heather and Kevin, waving at their parents nervously. Wesley catches up to Belvedere before he opens the front door and tells him, He can't leave now. It's going to start snowing any minute. Aw, I love how he attaches, how attached he's gotten already. That is so sweet. Wesley, Mr. Belvedere opens the door and tells Wesley, it's absolutely beautiful outside. And Wesley says, it's always like that before the acid rain starts. Wesley, Marcia calls to him and he turns to his mom and says, you can't let him leave. Marcia tells him, his father's already made his decision. She's completely steamrolling over George here. Kevin adds how it does look kind of hazardous out in a clear sort of way. Marcia walks over to George, placing her hands on his shoulders and telling him maybe Mr. Belvedere should wait until it's safe. 
Eh, I don't care, George replies as he walks over to Belvedere, who's standing like a statue waiting to be assessed by George, who asks, So, do you want to stay or what? Mr. Belvedere just hands his suitcase to Wesley, who excitedly takes it upstairs, and Marcia clasps her hands together, telling them breakfast must be ready by now, and asks Mr. Belvedere to join them. He thanks her as he heads to the kitchen, and as George follows behind and asks Marcia, or he asks Mr. Belvedere, are you sure you made enough scotch eggs? And Mr. Belvedere tells him, oddly enough, I made one extra. And George walks with Marcia behind the rest of the family and looks at her scoffing, just one? Alright, that's the end of the episode, everyone. Now, I'm going to give my overall rating of the episode. Since this podcast is called Tea Time with Mr. Belvedere, it will have a teacup rating. I'm giving this episode 5 out of 5 teacups. One. For the setup of the show, establishing the family dynamic, two absentee working parents, the average three children in need of supervision and guidance, showing us the need for a housekeeper. Two, Mr. Belvedere just shows up at the door, his entrance into the family. He at first seems a little imposing, but does his best to be respectful. Three, his connection to the children is so easily seen as they're so comfortable with him when it comes to confiding their problems, even if at first they don't realize what they are. Four, in this pilot, two relationships that develop over the show's time are hinted at. Wesley and Belvedere, their fun love-hate relationship, the banter and jokes between them is so sweet. Wesley needs someone who can match him when it comes to being conniving and a jokester, but ultimately at times can lend an ear when needed. George and Belvedere, their relationship, even in this pilot, you can see the hostility in George, like he doesn't know what to make of Mr. Belvedere at first. Maybe he feels like he's being usurped, and he needs to assert his role of dominance over the household. Even so, they eventually form an employer-slash-employee friendship based on respect. Number five, the journal entries that Belvedere shares with the audience at the end of the episode. That will become a staple of the show. All right, <clears throat> here is some trivia for the episode. One I believe I mentioned earlier in the show. George was originally to be a construction worker and in fact was identified as such in the pilot. George instead was changed to a sports reporter, first as a newspaper writer and later TV anchor. The changes were likely made to reflect Bob Uecker's career as a sportscaster and related persona that audiences largely associated him with. <clears throat> Mr. Belvedere's pilot episode, Mr. Belvedere, Stranger in the Night, originally televised on Friday evening, March 15, 1995, was an award winner. Outstanding lighting... Sorry, guys. Outstanding Lighting Direction Award was won by longtime ABC director George Spiro Dibby? D-I-B-I-E. I I don't know how to say that. The humorous, witty, and famed butler's full name is Mr. Lynn Aloysius Belvedere. The producers debated whether or not Mr. Belvedere should be actually writing his diary during his voiceover or whether he would merely go over what he had written. While doing the series, Bob 
Euchre continued his work as a full-time broadcaster for the Milwaukee Brewers. As a result, filming of episodes was scheduled to accommodate Euchre's broadcasting responsibilities. All right. Welcome to a new segment called Belvedere's Biscuit Bites. Basically, my own message of what I got from the show. Mm, Short and sweet. When a family's in need, call Mr. Belvedere. He has a knack for sussing out your children's problems makes the best food, and his witty banter will leave you rolling for days. Alright. Also, if you'd like to stay connected to this podcast, there are many social media sites. Facebook page, Tea Time with Mr. Belvedere, a Mr. Belvedere podcast. Instagram, Tea Time with Mr. Belvedere podcast. Twitter, Tea Time with Mr. B pod and Gmail. Tea Time with Mr. Belvedere podcast at gmail.com. Mail.com. I also do weekly trivia and listener questions for you to answer, and I give a shout-out on the podcast. This is, like I said, a weekly podcast, and to finish out the episode, I am going to play Mr. Belvedere's first journal entry for the show. I hope you guys enjoy it, and I look forward to giving you a new episode every Wednesday. So... It's hump day. We are in the middle of the week, almost towards the weekend. Two more work days. So I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the week, that you have a great weekend. And I look forward to talking with you about next week's Season 1, Episode 2. Entitled The Outcasts, which aired on March 22nd, 1985. In this episode, Wesley throws a party of his own, not knowing that he was actually invited to his friend Howie's party. Which, this is in the, this is the introduction to the never-seen next-door neighbors, the Huffnagels. So, join me in this episode, and I... We'll be back next Wednesday. All right, guys. Have a, like I said, have a wonderful weekend, and I will be returning. Bye-bye. An American Journal. The Odyssey continues. I find fate has deposited me with the Owens family, a somewhat provincial household in the suburbs of Pittsburgh. Although the individual members seem well-intentioned enough, they do seem a bit out of touch with one another. But... With a certain amount of patience and direction, I'm sure I can whip them into shape. Even George. (laughs) They're damn lucky to have me.